What is up, you guys, and welcome back to episode 54 of the Lombard Trucking Show. I'm your host, Lombard Trucking, and I'm out here in Newton, Iowa at the moment. Uh, I'm empty. I'm on my way to get reloaded. I'll get reloaded tomorrow. I'm getting some hay balers. I'm going to make my way down south. Uh, no reason to um, get into any crazy details. Nothing too exciting going on. Uh, for those of you watching, not listening, uh, well, even listening, you can probably hear some background noise. I do got a guest with me today. Uh, another awesome guy that I crossed paths with, uh, thanks to my good friend uh, Reed over there at Lost Freight. Uh, we're building a community of logistics heroes over there in our Discord server. So if you're a driver, broker, carrier rep, or involved in the trucking industry, reach out to me because uh, we're building a network in there. And there's uh, an awesome guy in there uh, by the name of Brian Price. And I wanted him to come on the show because he's doing some awesome stuff out there. He's not only a driver, he's in the farming industry. So uh, without any further delay, Brian Price, welcome to the show, man. How's it going? Good. Glad to have you, dude. So tell uh, tell the listeners, man, what's what's your life story? Tell us, tell, who, who are you? Well, I am uh, from a family farm out in eastern Iowa. Um, grew up there. I went to Iowa State University for five years. And I guess that, that's about where the story probably should pick up. I went to Iowa State University, um, majored in ag business and animal science. And I thought I was going to get something in uh, ag business or grain merchandising or something like that. I did several internships. I, I heard you say you're going to pick up uh, hay balers tomorrow. I suppose you're probably going to Pella, huh? I think I'm going uh, the name of the town is Ot- Otumwa. Oh, Otumwa? Yeah, it's, I think so it's, a de- it's a deer facility. Uh, yeah, so you're going. You're going to pick up deer round balers. Yeah, yeah. F- four of them headed to Georgia. Three or three, three or four. I forget. Yeah, I at one time did a uh, internship with Vermeer down in Pella, working with their round balers. But we've taken stuff into the uh, Tumwad deer plant several occasions. So um, I don't know where I was at. I thought I was going to get into egg business and stuff like that. I did several internships, and it just. Uh, never quite panned out when i first left college i actually went to selling cars for a few months and that didn't really work out um i ended up getting a job with a, a local co-op it's kind of a logistics coordinator dispatching trucks and sprayers um i did that for three and a half years or so and after dispatching trucks for a little while for them and like just dispatching gray and stuff like that and just trying to keep everybody busy i just i kind of thought maybe i could do a better job of it and i don't know i didn't think i was probably going to go anywhere with co-op so um i'd I'd interviewed for some location manager jobs and stuff like that and didn't get it and anyways and i moved on from that and i kind of got into trucking went back to the family farm i went back to the family farm and said well i'm just i'm gonna do the trucking thing to kind of supplement my income because i didn't really at that point in time, it really didn't make sense for somebody to uh, to probably bring another person on full time to the farm. Um, but I thought I could do the trucking thing and I could add value to the operation with my college education. Um, I Nowadays, I do most of the marketing and kind of manage the cost and uh, take care of all the books for the business, for the farm and, and do all that kind of stuff. So I provide value to the farm that way. But most of, honestly, my my big thing right now is, is is managing the trucks i manage trucks run trucks year round i actually don't drive truck too much but i'm driving truck today um i got five or six guys depends on the day um depends on who's available that that drive trucks for us 
Um, mostly pulling van freight, doing a lot of deer freight, um, taking parts into Waterloo. So um, I guess that's kind of, uh, that's the quite the quick and dirty of, of how I've got to this point. The down and dirty. So when you started, uh, so you went to Iowa State, you went there for, so by, uh, I'm assuming ag is agriculture. Um, yeah. For, for anybody. So is Iowa State a big, uh, do a lot of people go there for like uh, agricultural science? Like is, uh, is that, is it known for that? I'm not, I, I don't know much because schools are different out in this part of the country. Like I know A&M has a lot of stuff like that and environmental sciences and like a lot of agricultural or oil and gas is Iowa State kind of an agricultural type school. Yeah, that's a big part of what Iowa State does is, is agriculture. Um, they, they're big for dairy and uh, animal science industries. They do a they've got a vet school out there. Um, they put a lot of people through vet school out there. They their 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 vet school is probably one of the top in the country. Um, a lot of people come in there to, to do their vet schools. Um, they usually do undergraduate, you know, do undergraduate anywhere, but a lot like being doctors, um, a lot like people go to Iowa State, go to University of Iowa to be doctors. Um, a lot of people go to Iowa State to be vets. Um, uh, okay, so that that's the real rivalry between Iowa and Iowa State is doctors and physicians versus veterinarians. <clears throat> yeah, doc, that... <laughs> doc, 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 doctors and lawyers versus uh, your uh, engineers and, and vets. I yes. <laughs> no, I, I um, like that. Yeah, they, def- they definitely have a... Uh, they definitely have both of those, I think, pretty well locked down. I, I, I would think most people would say that Iowa State probably the better engineering and, and agricultural school, and and Iowa State or and, uh, Iowa does does the uh, the doctors and lawyers. Yeah, the more yeah, I, I have friends who 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 went to Iowa, and yeah, they're more on the business side of, of things for sure. You're you're definitely the, you're the first I think Iowa State alum uh, I've ever met. But okay, so you get out, yeah, you you give car sales a shot, and my first job out of college was also a sales job too and yeah it's you know it's definitely definitely wasn't my way so how, when you first got into trucking where where'd you start out where did you get did you get your cdl you know did you did you go right to owning your own truck or did you get your cdl through like a company or what have you so I, I got my i got my cdl as soon as i could get it when i turned 18 my dad wanted somebody to haul grain um to the farm he didn't he didn't normally care for it and back then a lot of times Paul and Graham met sitting in line for three, four or five hours down at ADM. Uh, it's gotten significantly better that, since then, but I, I've had my, I'm 35 now. I've had my CDL for 17 years. And I basically, for the most part, self-taught, you know, um, when I, you know, I was 18, I could be interstate. Um, I was just hauling grain off the farm. So um, it wasn't anything for hire. So it, it was something to do. It's a good way for me to learn, you know, I was never too far from home. I was never more than 30 to 40 minutes from home. Um, you know, something went wrong. I was, I wasn't far enough away from home that to get in too much trouble. So, um, that's how I started driving truck. Um, I came when I went to Iowa state, I, uh, I, for a while there, I had a a little part-time job helping a local farmer driving their trucks during the fall. Um, for most of my time at Iowa state, I actually had a, uh, I actually drove bus for the local, uh, for the, for SciRide, which is the uh, bus system that hauls all the students around and, and drives through town. And I did that for probably three and a half years. Um, 
probably one of the best part-time jobs a guy like me could have. I, I really like driving bus, um, but I, you know, I, I kept I kept my CDL up that way. Um, after I, when I went back to work at the co-op, I had my CDL so I could jump in a truck at any given time and, you know, and fill a trucking role if need be. Um, when it got when it came time for me, like decided I didn't want to go. Um, didn't want to work at the co-op anymore and want to try the trucking thing. You know, I, I took a week's vacation and tried to see if I could make it work, you know, running a truck all week. I thought it was all right and turned in my notice and, you know, and I, I just used one of the farm trucks to do all that. I started out doing hopper work. I was, I was hauling feed, feed ingredients, um, mostly through Iowa and Illinois. I was hauling distillers to, to export in Joliet, Illinois, and doing stuff like that, just, you know, really breeding my brains in, all in feed ingredients, trying to make money. And you were doing that for uh, your family farm at this point? Or, for, yeah, whose truck were you driving when you were doing, when you were running Hopper? I, I, I started out driving one of the farm trucks. I was just using one of our freight miners. Um, we got it plated up and got the USDOT number and, started doing for hire work and just using an old freight liner. Um, and after that, okay. after I made it work, I, after I made that work, you know, I just, we, we started upgrading trucks and getting newer trucks. So, okay. So th no, this is actually really cool because this goes in line with, uh, you know, some friends that I've made along the way. Um, you know, I bring them up basically almost every episode now, but he's a good point of reference because there's, there's a huge, you know, as you probably know, they're trying to put it through, the government to let 18 year olds drive um, semi trucks uh, interstate, like, uh, you know, throughout the whole country. But like, so, but your career path trucking wise, you never worked for like mega carrier. You never worked for like, you never, you never did like any major, like over the road kind of stuff. Like, you know, working for a mega carrier or working for like even a regional company, you started off driving farm trucks and then just organically, you know, you you took one of your farm trucks, got got a carrier authority, and then started moving stuff. I'm assuming through like load boards. You said for hire, so you were like working with brokers and stuff. Yeah, for a little while we did some dedicated work for a local broker who provided the trailers and stuff like that. And I got us started on van freight. Um, and I, I think it's interestingly, you know, the way you talk about like letting, you know, I have I have a fleet of five or six guys, and my biggest barrier to entry to getting somebody started is I can't hire anybody with less than two years of experience. So they got to get two years of experience from someone. I've had numerous times that somebody's like, Hey, can I come drive for you? Like, well, how long have you had your CDL? Oh, I just got it. I'm like, okay, well, sorry, but that's not going to work right now. You know, and I would love to, I, I would love to train someone the way I, you know, the way I got trained, you know, to be able to just keep them close by and eventually get their wheels underneath them and then set them loose. You know, I got enough stuff, local stuff that I can keep them local where I can, you know, they're not too far away. And I, you know, I can ride for them with them, but I don't have to be out with them all week. Yeah. And th this, this is something actually a lot of people don't really know about is the, the whole age of the CDL thing, because, and when it comes to like small businesses, because people, you know, the general public and by, because when I say people, I, I I'm meaning non-drivers, like that's, what's crazy is like, so if you want to start a small business, it's such a double-edged sword because like 10, 15 years ago, 
it was it was it was probably easier insurance wise to bring on a guy who's only had his CDL for six months. Nowadays, yeah, it's it's impossible. And if because and the thing is, if they have had their CDL for two years, you know, um, them coming to drive for you, there's there's other opportunities where they can maybe make more money, possibly have benefits. Like it's really hard for smaller carriers to high to find yeah find the talent that they need to survive. It's tough. Yeah, and I can and I can provide all those things. I can do health insurance, and I think I pay pretty competitively for what it is. I mean, my guys are home every night. Um, you know, they they do two to two two thousand to twenty five hundred miles a week most weeks. I mean, they work fifty to sixty hours at least, and stuff like that. But yeah, you know, the biggest problem is like you know, somebody asked me like, well, how to get started in driving? You know, like, well, yeah, you're probably gonna have to go work for a mega carrier, and uh, honestly, you know. For most of those people, you know, that mega carrier is probably going to burn them out so fast and just remove somebody who might enjoy it, you know, might enjoy it. I've got a guy that works for me now who spent 28 years, you know, working in in a shop somewhere and always wanted to drive truck. But, you know, family, you know, ended up having kids and family got in the way of that kind of stuff. And they finally decided after working for the same person for 30 years, he wanted to take a shot at driving truck. So, I mean, you know, it just kind of, we're having to send somebody to work for a mega carrier and they live in a truck for two to three weeks with the same person. And I've heard stories from you guys like, well, they're coming by home and they want to stop and and eat supper with the family that night. And, you know, the mega carrier like, oh, no, no, keep going. Yeah, no, working for mega carriers. um, And I speak, what's crazy is it's just, we call it the CDL milling system is what these mega carriers are doing. And yeah, they're, they're taxpayer subsidized, the CDL schools that they're all connected with. And uh, a lot of the people who end up working for these mega carriers are unwilling people. Like I went to school with people who were on um, you know, unemployment and they were basically forced to go to CDL school or their benefits were going to get cut off. And then those people will end up working for these mega carriers and then they quit so soon because yeah, like you just said, you'll have an opportunity to run by the house and like get dinner, but because of the ELD or because of the trip you're on or because of in appointment times and X, Y, Z. Yeah. They make it. Yeah. They, they don't care. They like the mega carriers without a doubt. And if somebody who is, who works at a mega carrier is a driver manager for a mega carrier uh, and by mega carrier, I'm speaking about, uh, Pam, JB Hunt, you know, though, you know, th- those types of companies, if anybody out there is working for them is listening and they're a driver manager and they're going to tell me that they give a shit about drivers, they're fucking lying without a doubt in my mind. And it stinks that guys have to go through that. Whereas like how you came up, like, because, uh, like how you, how you were brought up in the, in the system of trucking is like kind of an, uh, it's kind of the way you want guys. That's the kind of drivers you want out here over the road, pulling your freight all kinds, not somebody who's, um, doesn't even want to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I've come across guys that are fresh out of their, their driving school. And he, I came across one guy who's just having a terrible time backing in. And he's like, they just let me loose this week. And you're looking at him like they shouldn't have let you loose this week. You know, it's just like, you are not ready, man. And then, you know, they they throw them in a truck and they send them over the mountains and, you know, wish you luck and I hope it works out for you. And next thing you know, they're in a ditch somewhere. Yeah. You know, I, 
they're putting people in bad situations and people are getting hurt and people are getting killed and no, I'm, everybody a bad name. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not helping anything at all because the reality of the situation is you have a lot of guys who are, uh, you know, who are new immigrants to, to the United States and they'll have lived here for, you know, less than six months. And so and then and then within that six months time, they're cr- they're rushing them through. They get their CDL and then they go work for a CR England where it's in uh, and, and for CR England, they've got a trainer and and two guys not just one it'll be a trainer and two and they just and like they run as triples and then you do that for two three weeks and then they're out on the in their own so these people don't speak english that well they've just been with a, a another student and they're all, and they're out there um there it's two of them with a trainer and then right after that they've probably like i said they've probably lived in california and then all of a sudden they're on mountain pass i-90 Idaho in December uh, and they're spinning their tires because they don't even, you know, because they can't put chains on them. That's the situation we've run in when it comes to the, the CDL milling factory. And that is our general freight all kinds. Obviously your side of trucking doesn't have that type of talent. Anybody who sticks with this industry ends up branching off into something specialized. Like anybody who actually stays trucking goes into doing what I'm doing and hauling equipment go, uh, you know, or goes to do what you're doing, uh, doing farm work. Or they go, or they do end up doing some local job, but the general freight of all kinds is being moved by, like I said, not professional drivers. That's the best way to put it. They're they're not professionals. They used to be, but now it's not like that anymore. Yeah, and I, and we do a lot of freight of all kinds, you know, van work stuff like that. And, yeah, let's, we're let's, pretty, pretty I was selective say, about what we do and. Yeah, let's get into your business. I, I was going to say, let's get into what you're doing now. So, I mean, you, we kind of left off. You, you got back at, you know, you're one of your farm trucks. You got an authority. You were doing hopper. So what's, you know, where'd you, yeah, where'd you go from there? How, how did the, how did your, this, your whole enterprise now get, get rolling? Yeah, we started out, um, we got into van freight. We went from doing dedicated van freight to working with a local company that would let us haul their freight out. And then if they wouldn't, if they didn't have anything for us, they'd let us use the trailer to haul something back, which was a nice deal. Cause it, you know, when we're doing the dedicated work, we'd like drive out to Lamar's, Iowa. We get all the way out there and you sit there and sit there and sit there. Like, well, they're looking for something else for you to haul. They didn't have anything once you got out there. You're, so you're sitting and waiting, sitting and waiting. You're like, well, let's just go home. Well, that doesn't make a whole lot of money. Like, well, we got a load that goes to uh, Wyoming. We're not going to Wyoming. You know, we're not, you know, we're not going to do that. So you turn around and you come home where they eventually got to the point where like, well, I can find my own freight. So when they wouldn't let us do that kind of stuff, we transitioned into a different company that would, would give us freight. And if they didn't have anything for us, we just find ourselves out, find ourselves something. We'd bring it back and we get it unloaded. We'd take the trailer back or we, and we swap it over to something else that they already had preloaded. Worked out really nice, but when we were doing that, it was just like me and my dad doing that. So when springtime rolls around, farm time rolls around, you know, we fall off the map and we, you don't, you don't hear from us for two or three months. We come back, we run for two or three months and then we're gone again. We come in, we go and, you know, you can't expect anybody to keep yourself, keep you busy when you're, when you're coming and going like that. Ah, okay. Um, So, so basically, so you were doing like power only stuff 
Like you were moving uh, yeah. other people's trailers. Like you, yeah, you guys didn't have yeah. any van trailers yourself. And so, yeah. but you, yes, but so you guys would kind of enter and leave the market. It was just you and your dad. And then, so you'd, you'd go to work and you'd do stuff, but then you'd have to go back and I'm assuming harvest. Yeah. Like, so we, 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 we do the, we did the hopper work whenever we weren't busy and stuff like that. And whenever we weren't busy, we'd pick up a van trailer, you know, and away we go, especially in the winter months when there's not a whole lot else going on for, for a grain farmer, you know, you pick up a, pick up a van trailer and you haul it around and, you know, then when you're, you gotta go back to the farm, you're like, okay, see you later, thank you. And so it, it, it went from that, like, well, I can, so I, I got enough of an education, you know, and it was a good way to learn. You know, somebody taught me how to, how van freight works and stuff like that. And then I moved into, I got a subscription to DAT. I start making phone calls and start lining things up and doing it myself. So we went out and got our own van trailer so we can do whatever we want now. And, that turned into eventually like, well, I can, I think I can keep somebody else busy. So we got, so we hired an employee. We had one employee and then he had for personal reasons had to leave. He left trucking altogether. And we ended up hiring the next guy who's been with us for four years and um, just slowly kind of tried to have one or two or three guys driving truck for us. And then within the last year or so, we've brought on owner operators to pull trailers around and, it just gives me something else to, you know, someone else to keep rolling. It's it's hard enough to find find truck drivers. It does it does make it a lot easier if you've got somebody who already owns the truck and has that has that investment in a truck already. They're worth typically worth a little more than somebody who's just jumping in the truck to drive it. They have a little more at stake. We've kind of expanded the owner operators as you know, a couple owner operators and a few or a few company drivers and. That's kind of where the operations at today. We do the majority of what we do is is van freight, um, but we just stick to Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, and we don't do anything. We don't do anything outside of that. We don't do anything we wouldn't we wouldn't normally do most times. And we've been at it long enough that we know all who all the good shippers are and who the, all the bad shippers are. So we try and make sure that where we're going, we're not sitting and waiting. And most days we get in and out, and we're back on the road. And, guys seem to enjoy it i guess so no this this is actually this yeah you got a good good thing actually going on because this is kind of like i feel like what you have is kind of the dream that a lot of owner operators set off uh out onto like when, when a lot of guys buy trucks um you know like the first thing a lot of guys do when they get a truck at first is that they'll do what i do they, they they'll lease onto a carrier kind of like how you got owner ops leased under your you guys you do that to cash flow and then maybe you know, if you, the opportunity's right, you get your own DOT number. And the idea is, you know, is to, as a carrier, when you have your own DOT, you know, buy a couple more trucks and hire drivers because that's that's conventional or get owner operators underneath you. So like right now, um, but you're doing both, which is kind of, it, honestly, it's the best of both worlds. So what in, and I mean, like I said, this is a trucking it, you know, this is a trucking podcast and I always want to talk up any good company out there. So what do you, you know, what's the, what's the offer to owner operators out there to come lease under your, your guys authority? How do you, what's the setup? You know, you guys split and gross, you letting them book their loads, you finding them the freight. Hey, I'm, I'm finding them all the freight. Um, they lease onto me and run under my authority. Um, I'm finding them all the freight. A lot of the times it's since we've got so many drivers, we've got more trailers than trucks now. So 
a lot of times guys are running out to Wisconsin back. Um, and usually maybe one guy or two guys that stay in locally and unloading trailers in Waterloo or Cedar Rapids and, and, and preloading them for the next guy. And he, he takes the last one home and he goes to Wisconsin the next day. And some of those guys will drop their trailers off and they'll go back around. Um, and that's mostly what it is. And, and guys are, uh, guys are coming home every night and, um, that's always been my philosophy. I I've been out on the road for two or three nights at a time. I don't particularly enjoy it. I got young kids at home now. Um, I like to be around for them and you know, everybody wants to, like, a lot of guys want to be home for their families too. And it like stuff that comes up too. And so we're pretty flexible in that way. And I, for, for me, most of the time it's pretty labor intensive from a dispatch standpoint, because a lot of times the guys don't know what they're going to do the next day. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of mixing and matching and making it up kind of late in the afternoon, like who's going to go where and who's going to go do what. And, you know, I got a guy, you know, I got a guy that needs to be home for, he wants to be home by five o'clock tomorrow because his, his, uh, his mom turned 70 and they're having a party, you know, and you guys want to be home for stuff like that. And you know, I want to be home for my kids and, and stuff like that. I don't, and that's typically what I do is I try not to ask guys to do anything that I wouldn't do, you know, and, Usually, if there's a problem with something, you're like, oh, that seems like kind of a long run. Like, yeah, I understand and stuff like that. But you know, I could make tomorrow. I can make tomorrow a shorter run if you need to. Or you know, I understand you were out late last night. You know, here just stay close to home today. Yeah, you're kind of a diamond in the rough out there for an owner operator, especially if you live in this area. Like to to be able to um, be to to be able to own your own truck and. Uh, get home every night is very tough. And if you go on YouTube, you you know, you'll find guys who run as an owner op with a day cab and they run off load boards and it really, it looks like it sucks and it really depends on where you're at. But like you're, if a, if a guy comes along with your company, like I said, I, I, I like to talk up good companies on this show. So, I mean, if there's any owner operators listening, you know, are, are you, are you hiring on what's, you know, what's, what's the name of your guys uh, company so they can look you up. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm always, I'm always kind of pessimistic about uh, bringing guys on and stuff like that. That was always, that was always the worst part. Like about the first guy you ever hire, you're just like scared to death. Like, if you're taking somebody else's, you know, livelihood in your hands. Like, God, I hope I can keep you busy, and I hope we can all make enough money that you can make some money, and that it pays good. And I, you know, I think everybody. I would assume they've talked to my guys, and they all think they they make pretty good money. You know. I sent my 1099s to my owner operators and like, Jesus, I can't, I can't believe you guys made that much last year. Um, but I, I don't, I know that I can't, you know, this has been kind of a slow growth process too, like that. And I know you can't do what I do without building relationships with, with brokers. You know, I, I work with probably four or five of the same people every day, you know, and, and for the most part, they kind of look out for me. You know, they, they do all the background work. They work with the carriers and, and the shippers and make all the direct sales and stuff like that. And it's nice to, for me to work with brokers because, you know, they'll, you know, he'll, he'll call me and say, somebody will call me and say, hey, I got, a load, I got this load. Um, can you do it? And like, well, no, I don't No, I can't do it. And like, and it might be a lane that we normally do a lot of, but I know I don't have to feel bad about not being able to cover it because, you know, he's like, well, I got somebody, you know, I can, I can find somebody else to cover it and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's, but those, those kind of things come from relationships. And I was talking, yeah, I've been talking with Reed 
in the last couple of days about those kind of things too. Like those relationships are invaluable. Um, you know, it's taken, it's taken years to get to that point of, you know, I, I don't know how, I honestly don't know how guys that run the spot market all the time, you know, just trying to chase them, chasing the next load and, you know, going from here to, you know, here to Wisconsin, Wisconsin, down to the Kentucky and then down to Texas and just trying chasing the market around. It's, you know, at least I have a pretty good idea. If I stay in my same lanes, I know exactly what I've, what I've got coming and stuff like that. And I know where, you know, I know where the best spots are at and stuff like that. You know, like, and I know that, you know, one week it might be slow. I, you know, I got a pretty regular lane that, kind of ebbs and flows, ebbs and flows. And it's kind of frustrating sometimes, but I know on average it's going to be there. And, you know, and I've got stuff that can fill in on short runs. It's just kind of keep guys busy every day. You know, maybe they won't make as much as if, you know, on certain days, but, you know, on a per hour basis, um, they're making pretty good money for their time and they get to go home, and which is, you know, I, I think is valuable to some people. That's just, it's something you can't pencil in. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I can tell you firsthand, yeah, when it comes to running the spot like that, like off the rip, off load boards, uh, it it de- it definitely fucking blows. And what's what what I love that you said, and I'm glad you brought it up, is what uh, the building relationships side of things because that's a key thing that guys don't really know about. So at the beginning, when I first got my truck, I was running the spot a lot, and I was building those relationships, and it happened. And I actually learned lanes, so I would go kind of all over but i for the most part because i'm based i'm in central texas i would basically like run up to arkansas take something out to uh down to louisiana like i was just working kind of i was still just in the central part of the u.s i would have to go out for probably 10 to 14 days at a clip but i was mainly in that area but along that way i was working with carrier reps they kept me in the loop on certain lanes that were going on you learn that where where it started to run aground for me was the the uh, towards the end of the summer, or especially with fuel prices spiking towards the end of the summer, a lot of the a lot of stuff really really started to slam on the brakes and slow down, and so that's why why it got tough. And it's just that the relationships for me didn't matter. But from what you said, and from a general standpoint of being an owner operator, owning your own truck, and owning your own business, building relationships with brokers is the only is the only way in. You know, we haven't had too much positive broker talk on this show. I've brought brokers on. You know, I'm not saying all brokers are evil. I think we've made that clear. But you need to do you need to do that if you don't. Because what's crazy is I've had a lot of guys tell me, you know, it, it like when it comes to getting your own DOT, I would love to get my own DOT MC. You know, becoming a, an official motor carrier again is is definitely out there it's I, I have my sights on it but i'm not gonna rush to failure and you have a lot of guys you have a lot of fucking dumbasses on tiktok like user 294160 who wants to tell me oh you're not a real owner operator because you're leased onto a company and it's like look it's like when you are an owner operator you are a business owner and if you're making the business and for me to make the business decision now having no relationships with brokers well i mean i know reed and i'm sure i can you know ask you for some of your friends you know, people, you know, but like, I don't have any solid relationships. I don't have any solid lanes and I only have one truck, no trailer. So to me, make the business decision to just get my own DOT and run power only in a place like Texas, I'll go broke, especially because of insurance, especially because I can't get the good fuel discounts. You, on the other hand, over the course of years, 
built relationships with brokers and you have equipment to offer these brokers. That's the thing. If you're just a one pony show out here now running the spot or trying to build relationships with brokers, guess what? Broker doesn't need one load covered. He needs five covered going here, here, and here. Like that, that that's what a lot of people don't understand about the market, especially now, because I, I wanted to ask you, how have you been doing, you know, throughout, throughout uh, the past year and a half with fuel, with kind of the way rates are, how, how's, how have things been going? Have you had to sell anything? Have you had to let anybody go? No. I mean that, that uh, last year was, I, I think insanely good. Um, I would say things are still going pretty good right now. I can see that they're, they can start to tail off a little bit. I'm starting to get feedback from people from lanes we normally do like, you know, hey, we're not, we can't do that lane for that rate anymore, which is fine. I understand. I mean, honestly, the rates that I'm still getting are, are better than what I'm used to getting. You know, if like pre-COVID type stuff, yeah, I, I think the rates are still good, but I, I think that comes from, from a relationship standpoint. I know people are backing off rates, like really good rates are still, are backing off to pretty good rates. Um, I can tell you that I have a DAT subscription, but I'm not sure I could tell you the last time I booked a load off of DAT. I, I, I'm sure it's been at least two or three months. And, and I, I bet I could count on on both my hands probably in the last, you know, in probably the last five or six months, the number of loads that I've called on DAT. I, I've maybe posted a few trucks and that's about it. And it's just kind of fishing and I, honestly don't get a whole lot of calls and stuff like that. Like the, I, I've probably got a customer list of about 80 different people I've worked with in the past. And it's, it's probably down to six or seven that I, I work with on a regular basis that cover us for what we're doing. And they know the lanes we like to run, you know, so they'll send me an email and say, hey, I got this lane. Like, ah, sorry, I'm busy. You know, like, especially those loads that only come up every like once or two weeks, you know, like, well, I, yeah, I, I wasn't really counting on that one. I don't know when it's coming. But I haven't. I probably haven't called on a DAT loan in in a couple months. That, dude, that's that's actually really good, and I think that there's a lot of people out there who who need to hear exactly what you're saying. It's because and Reed says this a lot, and I and I'm stealing this from him, but he's absolutely right when he says, and I'm sure you can attest to this: the best loads never see the board. Absolutely, I don't. I, I, I. The best loads probably never even. You know, if you're dealing with a. A carrier with their own load board the best loads never even see their board like if if you see something on some of these carriers load boards now again nowadays it's because the rate probably sucks or it's a shitty lane um it goes to like a distribution center where you're gonna get stuck there for five hours a detention is implied they think stuff like i get i get some of this off-brand stuff like somebody will send me like hey i i got this lane but the rate stinks you know, okay, well, then I'm probably not interested, you know, like, I'll, I'll probably, I'll probably hold off and maybe I'll want it back to keep my truck moving, but I doubt it. Um, I, if I see something on a load board, I mean, it's because that nobody else wants to run it. Yeah, that's, I see a lot of that now, like, when I do look at the load boards, I see a lot of broker names that I don't recognize, um, you know, and, and the, the people I work with, I hardly ever see their their loads on the board and if it is it's because it just popped up that day and they don't have a truck for it you know it's last minute type stuff like you know and even some last minute stuff like hey you know they just built this one know if they can get a truck for it today like yeah i can run out there and 
get it. And and, and stuff like that should come with the premium stuff is should come with a premium. We do a little bit of exploit stuff too. That is premium too. Um, just you know, then you build those kind of relationships. You know, hey, they get a you get a, maybe maybe be Brian's got a truck nearby that he can he can cover that one. So they call you right away and go, Hey, can you at least get this off the dock today? Well, yeah, I can run down there and get it. And, and for the most, I, mean, I don't drive truck most days, but you know, I'm, I'm probably sitting in the office, you know, trying to keep up on all the power, all the paperwork that goes with keeping five or six guys busy. And you know, I got a truck and trailer, maybe sitting in the yard and like, yeah, I can run down there and get it. Like you make it worth my while. I'll go, I'll run down there and get it. So I put it on for somebody and it delivers tomorrow morning. And so they swing by and they pick it up and they, they take it out and, and I don't have to worry about, about being gone and, you know, stuff like that. It's just the flexibility and, you know, the other thing is having leverage and being able to like, you know, like, Hey, I got this hot load, like, well, I can go get it, but you got to make it worth my while, you know, like, and I don't have to go. You know, I'm perfectly content to sit here. I got other stuff going on, but if you make it worth my while, I'll go get it. Yeah. See, because of the equipment you have, you're, you're in the position to make that, to kind of make that demand because it what's crazy is you'll get a lot of people on youtube and all these you know social media people they'll always be like you need to know what you're you know and this is this is true but they'll be like you need to know like what your dot like what your exact dollar per mile rate is for your truck to make a profit and you need to not go below that and the thing is if you only have one truck just because you tell that broker hey i need 250 a mile that broker doesn't give a shit what you need to run your truck because like I said, like we were just talking about that load on the board, that's just, that's basically excess at this point. But you, on the other hand, when you like you, ha you're having brokers call you because you have the equipment out there. It also sounds like you, I'm assuming you said Eastern Iowa. So you must be off the 80 near Davenport. You're in one of the, the hot, you're in one of the best areas when it comes to freight, just from what I, cause I still monitor the boards all the time. And you're absolutely right. When it, so with Warren Transport, they work off of ATS's load board as well. I see ATS loads on the board because I still monitor the load board on Truck Smarter just for just because I'm always looking. And you'll have loads out there from ATS, and I'll be on that same lane that's moving. And I, and the gross of the load I'm taking is more than what's on the board, what it's posted for. So it's like, and if you were to call on it and try to negotiate higher, they're not going to go any higher because eventually Warren or TMC is going to end up getting it anyways, because nobody's going to take it for that low. And that's kind of well, the situation. Yeah. And, you know, for these big carriers too, I mean, they're, they're trying to keep people busy too. I mean, they got all these drivers, you know, you see that from a lot of guys too, that are looking to change jobs. Like, well, I work for these guys, but I only get 300 miles and, or, you know, I had one guy that was talking, I was talking to one time about a job position and he was sitting somewhere and he didn't make it in time to get unloaded on Friday. So he had to wait till Monday to unload. And, you know, for me, you know, being close to home, I'd be just like, you know, well, we're just going to have to cut our losses on this one. I'm not going to make you sleep in Milwaukee all weekend just to save a few bucks, you know, drive the truck home and, you know. We've had that happen too, where we pull into some place and it's like a, you know, it'd be like a, it's like six o'clock at night and they're like, well, it's going to be five hours before you can get loaded. And like, just come on home. I mean, you know, it, it I, I, on occasion I've had a truck, you know, trying to find loads for trucks in like Kentucky and stuff like that. 
And I got pulled into something, you know, pull into a place and he'd been there for two hours and some change. And well, he had to wait for a one o'clock appointment first and he got empty first thing in the morning. And then come to find out that he was going to have to wait even longer for that. Like the load wasn't ready and uh, we don't know when it's going to be ready. I'm like, well, you might as well just come home. I mean, there ain't no point in staying there all day. I you get, you get trucks out that far away. You're kind of, you're kind of handcuffed at that point, you know, while you're there, you know, either I wait it out and, and get my load or I, or I start heading home empty and I don't make any money. I'm like, well, that sucks. You know, where, you know, some of this stuff, like, you know, I've taken loads up and shit, I don't have anything for a guy tomorrow. Like I, I'm certain I'll probably find something first thing in the morning for him to get, but you know, if, if he has to come home empty, it's not going to be the end of the world. We're talking a couple hundred miles of running empty. And there's probably a lot of people, I mean, you know, a lot of people, you're gonna, you're probably going to have a hundred and some miles of running empty tomorrow to get from where we probably you were at down to, I would imagine. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's part of trucking right there. That's just, especially for the owner ops that are under view. Yeah. I, I delivered today in a, what's it, a Grundy center. And then, yeah, I'm picking up an Otumwa. It's a, yeah, it's a 120 mile deadhead. Like that's, that's going to be your norm. Even in that same thing when I was running the spot, like I would, that, and this was, this is what would piss me off about running the spot. And this is what I fucking hate. And this is why I'm, it's basically why I have this podcast, why I make content and all this stuff so we can help because I want to keep talking about these things to help fix the industry. It's like, yeah, the wait times of shippers and receivers with the deadhead, I would miss out on good loads because I'd be, I'd have an 8 a.m. appointment to deliver. I'd get there at 7, uh, get a door. Yeah, I'd wait a half hour for a door, and then it would take me I, an unknown amount of time to be unloaded and I'll, I'll be, and there's a good reload a hundred miles away, but it picks up at one in the afternoon and I'll be at the receiver for four hours waiting to get unloaded for something that took a half hour to load me, it took a half hour at the shipper to load me. It takes four hours for wherever the fuck I am to unload me. So I got to miss out on that load and cook half. And then there's nothing else leaving. I got stuck in Fort Smith, Arkansas for a weekend doing that. I delivered a load like in the morning. I was actually empty quickly, but like I, I was looking for loads all week out of Fort Smith, knowing that I'd be empty uh, very early. And the only shit out of Fort Smith was paying a dollar and a quarter a mile going out to California. And it's just like, no, well, I'm going to fucking sit. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's part of it. But luckily you're for your guys. Like I said, man, it sounds like you've got a really good operation going on especially for you know the the company guys you got over there to to let them drive home and come home because of sitting and waiting you know that's that should be what's crazy is you're a small business and you're telling your guys hey man just drive home you know it's cool like you're willing to eat that on the chin but me but meanwhile at some of these other companies they'll, they'll they'll make you sit all weekend at a place i mean i remember with that happened with me at pan they wanted me to deliver to this place in houston they knew I was going to be there Saturday, and I got there Saturday morning. The place was closed all weekend. and it's, So guess what? I you know, And I can't just – they won't let me drive the truck back to Austin, even though I'm two and a half hours away. They'll make – you know, I got to fucking sit there, you know, all weekend with the, you know with this loaded trailer. And you, you just assume probably pay to go home and, and drive back since, you know, like, you know I'll, hey, I'll fill the truck full of fuel right now and – I'll, I'll fill it full of fuel when I get back in, on Monday morning. And I, I had that happen one time where we drove out to Sioux City, Iowa. 
to a shipper that was closed on a Friday. And I was like, well, shit. So we left. We actually left the trailer there and bobtailed back home. And on Monday morning, we went back and got the trailer. But, I mean, we left it there. And they only did drop. They only did their own stuff on Fridays, trying to get everything ready for the next week. We left it there like, hey, can you, you know, if we leave it here, will you guys unload it before we get back on Monday? So they unloaded it before we got back. So we just pick up there and we had an empty trailer waiting for us when we got back. But that was one of those things. I remember that happening. Like, you know, like, well, I'm not going to make you sit in Sioux City all weekend to wait for Monday morning. It just We're just going to have to take it on the chin. And honestly, it wasn't even our fault. We were told that they were going to be open. So that was the nice thing about working with the broker. The broker actually kind of helped us out on it. Like, well, hey, what's it going to cost for for you to sit there all week? Like, we worked something out that made it kind of, it, it didn't make it as it didn't make it great, but it I like I worked with them too. Like, uh, hey, that's 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 you know that's on me just as much as it's on you. And they helped us out. You know, so we drove home, we drove back, Bob tailed out, and Bob tailed back. Yeah, no, that's that's not a bad setup either. I mean, there's guys who do do that. I know some people who, uh, especially uh, some friends of mine who have re- their own reefer trailers. They've gotten to a shipper, and you know they'll tell the broker, "Hey, man, I'm going to." You know, I, I'm going to drop this trailer here or they'll drop it and go, yeah, go stay at a hotel for the weekend because the place was closed every now and then you, you do get lucky. So that's good. Um, but now, like I said, it sounds like you got a good enterprise going on. I, I do want to ask you because I've been hauling a lot of agricultural equipment. You know, you said you got a you got you got a farm. Now, your tr- do your trucks still do anything with the farm that you're on? Uh, some of them do. Um getting a bind and stuff like that i might throw a guy in a, in a hopper trailer i'm actually i'm actually pulling a fertilizer tanker today i'm hauling you and that's that's a new adventure starting today um i'm probably going to throw somebody on that this spring um we're just trying to try we're just trying kind of trying that out and seeing how it goes and i know it's going to be hot and cold so we'll we'll see what happens is um, that a is that like a like a regular tanker is that hazmat fertilizer? I, no. I don't. I don't have hazmat, sir. So I no, had to wonder. I didn't know. <laughs> no, it, it's not hazmat. Um, and it's just. Uh, I'm assuming it's a tanker. Like, is it like a food grade type tanker? Like, um, no, it, it, it's specifically for fertilizer, liquid fertilizer. Oh, it's li- oh, it's liquid fertilizer. Oh, okay, yeah. so you're so you're doing that now, and that's for. Yeah. Your far so you so you have a far like so it's your family's farm, yep. Okay, and you guys and now now what uh what do you guys grow? How many how many people does that farm employ? Is it just your family or do you have like guys wh- who work it? Yeah, hey, it's just it's it's realistically just the four of us um that that work on the farm right now. Uh, the, the guys that drive truck for us are kind of they usually they're available. Sometimes they'll help us on a weekend. Like we get into harvest and we need. We need some extra guys driving trucks. You know, I've got a couple guys with Studio 680s. They're usually always hooked to, to van trailers. But uh, the one guy had a – the one guy's truck is in the shop, so he's actually pulling a hopper, hauling some damaged corn for somebody um, last couple of days. So he's getting to do something different. Um, when I first – when we first kind of started growing, a lot of times, you know, we'd be driving mid-roof Kenworths that could hook to hoppers and if we couldn't find anything to do, we'd hook up the hopper and like, we'll go haul grain. You know, that'll be, that'll be better than nothing. That'll keep you busy today. 
and or you know, we'll we'll you know like you know somebody might call for an occasional hopper load or something like that. Like I said, if I got behind on hauling grain, um, I might throw a guy in a hopper. Um, doesn't happen very much anymore. But when we first got going, that was uh, you know a lot of times the farm the farm work kept the the trucking business profitable and kept the money coming into the truck. You know. You know, it, it was a guaranteed customer that we had um, to keep somebody busy and and kind of keep some money coming to coming to trucking. Nowadays, that the, the trucking is kind of kind of supports the haul and grain. But it's interesting how you know how that kind of stuff works out. But um, you know, that it, realistically, the farm helped the trucking grow, and now trucking helps the farm grow too. Hey, that's that, that's actually you know that's the hustle that. Even, you know, some of my New England friends uh, have started to learn, like, to, to get by, I guess, in this sort of economy is you, you need a side hustle. And uh, in this, in, in your world, it's kind of a blue-collar side hustle. Yeah, I, I like that. The, the farm got the trucking going and the trucking's keeping the farm rolling. I, and I, they both complement each other. So uh, how big is the farm you guys got? What do you, what do you grow? We just grow corn and soybeans, um, about 3,000 acres worth. Yeah, I'm cu- I'm curious of the supply chain of the farm because obviously, I mean, what's crazy is you're doing double patriotic duty. You know, tr- you know, truckers keep the country moving, but farmers also keep the country fed, which is pretty pretty fucking badass in my in my opinion. I, I don't think I don't see see the only thing you know more patriotic than that is you know like I said, uh, you know, being in the, being in the military, you know, fighting in fucking World War II, <laughs> or you know what I mean. And so. You, what's the supply chain look like from a farm? So you grow corn and soybeans. Where do where do they go? Who's who buys them? And like, how does it get to the store? How does the corn get to the store? I guess. And what is the pathway it goes through? Well, for you know, for us, you can start with, uh, you know, if you want to get a truck involved with it, you know, the truck brings the inputs to grow the crop. And once you grow the crop, then the you know the truck brings it to storage. The truck takes it from storage and for us most of our stuff is going to your your places like cargill and adm getting turned into corn syrup or getting turned into ethanol um I, some people do uh non-gmo corn um there's a market for that and some people do food grade you know i guess your, your food grade vegetables and stuff like that everything all of that stuff has to go on a truck at some point in time um that's kind of the the narrow supply chain of it. I mean, you get a lot more intricate parts of it, but you know, it, it kind of flows inputs in, turns it into corn, corn goes to the, goes to the end processor. The end processor turns into something else. The end processor ships it out and it ends up in your, you know, in your Pepsi or whatever. Um, and I, the number of things you can use corn syrup for, I mean, is, is endless. It's the, the byproducts from corn, you know, some of the corn gets turned into cattle feed, cattle feed goes to the cattle cattle gets turned into steak you know and all other sorts of products yeah. again on a truck and ends up back in a van trailer you know or a reefer going to the store and ends up on your shelf you know even on a dairy farm you're making milk milk goes in a truck you know truck takes it to the processor processor puts it in bottles another reefer hauls it out takes it to the store you know it I, you yeah. know a lot of that stuff it all comes through a farm and it all goes through a truck yeah dude it fucking if corn didn't exist, like half this, half the country would probably fucking implode. It's it's like the whole fucking country runs on corn, basically, man. That's Iowa's, that's Iowa's oil. 
yeah, sometimes it feels like that. I and mean, it's just amazing, you know, how much the world produces of corn, how much the world uses corn and how much of the world uses soybeans and stuff like that. And I you watch the markets every day and the markets have been really strong, you know, since, you know, since COVID, but that's a supply and demand type thing. And, you know, the market is just no different than trucking, you know, prices will be good and then everybody will overproduce and more capacity to come to the market. Prices will go down and, you know, supply and demand and the economics of everything. Really? No different so, than trucking. There, so there will be like people who produce too much and that'll, well, I see, I don't really know. I, I, I obviously everything kind of runs off supply and demand. Sim, yeah. Similar to the, the, the trucking market, but I didn't know like, do, like, so when guys overproduce, does that happen like by accident or did they like maybe do it on purpose? So like, Oh, we're, we're going to try to grow a lot so we can make more money this year. Well, everybody, I realistically, everybody who grows a crop is trying to grow as much crop as they can for as little cost as possible. You know, try the, the what makes every farm go is the margin in between. You know, if you spend, you know, spend a thousand dollars to put a crop in the ground and you only you only make enough crop and sell it for enough that you make only make 900. Well, that's not good. But if you, you know, if it were if the same price and more yield, you make more money. Or if it's, you know, more yield, more money type stuff, more a higher price, stuff like that. You know, everybody's goal is to overproduce. And when the market, when the prices are high, everybody's incentive to produce more. You know, you'll be, you'll get guys that'll plant more corn instead of like in the South, instead of planting cotton, they're going to plant corn. Or, you know, the Southern, the Southern states might plant more of a, of corn and soybeans because the corn and soybean price yields a better margin than planting cotton and stuff like that. So let's, so let's change it out. Now, you mentioned something actually a minute ago about the about GMO. Can you clear the air about this GMO? Because I feel like it's a buzzword or buzz acronym. What you know? Are GMOs like this big boogeyman that people should be worried about? Or you don't have to answer that. Like I said, if it's a secret, you know, if it's a if it's a farm, you know, trade secret, feel free. I'm just you know, I figured I'd ask. Hey, hey. I mean, in a sense everything is genetically modified you know it's been genetically modified over time you know everything everything's genetically modified because you mix you know even you and i are genetically modified because you know our our parents have picked up traits that they pass on to us you know that's that's you technically that's genetically modified um and, and realistically a lot of this genetically modified stuff is just is is breeding plants at a faster rate in order to get desirable traits you know, into, you know, taking desirable traits from other, even other products that make, you know, even a, a corn plant less susceptible to disease. You know, it, it's, it, it's got a trait in it that fights off an insect and makes the, the, tra- the plant more viable. They've, they've taken, maybe they've taken that trait from somewhere else. I mean, I, if somebody ever got the chance to go to Bayer and kind of tour their facility, I think you'd be amazed at the amount of planning genetics and breeding they've done and how fast they can do it now compared to what they do it before. I mean, their technological advances, you know, have, you know, have made a big difference in how fast they can, you know, modify it, you know, modify a crop to fight off a new disease or, or pest. Yeah. I I think that that's kind of, that's uh, that's what I've heard from from other people is that basically, I mean, without GMOs, um, 
uh, an X number of the population would essentially starve because, you know, you wouldn't be able to produce what you can. And yeah, because of things like, because of things like certain bugs and fucking insects and germs or viruses or what have you. Yeah. And like, there's acres and acres of this land. Like you, you know, you said you got 3000 acres. Um, you know, how many bugs are out there that are, you know, in this plant, you know, what are they carrying? So it's almost, yeah, it's like, yeah, I, I get the, you know, I get what people say, you know, with the non GMO stuff, but, and, you know, people are always skeptics of what the FDA and places like that do. But at the end of the day, it's just fucking corn you're growing. It's not like you, you know, it's not like they're putting, I don't know. There's not much you could do to corn to really make it poison people, I guess. I, I Like I said, I think the GMO shit has become like kind of a buzzword. Yeah. I, I, to each their own. I mean, everybody's got an, everybody's got an opinion. I, I just, a lot of people, you know, try and take their opinion and, and create fear from their opinion. I think that's what you see a lot on the news is the news is, is fear based, you know, they're, and, a lot of sales, you know, even salespeople make sales pitches based on fear. Like they try and scare you into doing something different because they want you to use oh, whatever yeah, that, they're selling. That's, that's, but yeah, that's a, the best way to sum up sales is they're scaring you into thinking you need what they're trying to sell you. Like they're trying to yeah. make, yeah, they want you to feel frightened that if you don't have this, well, guess what? You know, you're not going to be, you're not going to be this. You're not going to make this. You're not going to X, Y, Z. Yeah, that's exactly what well, it is. Well, and you know, like you got to buy it now because the price is going up. Well, next week the price goes down, and you bought. Like, I thought you said the price was going down. Well, they don't care. They made the sale. I, I have brokers that'll do that to me too. Like, hey, can you take this load? We're getting a lot of phone calls on this load. Uh, we got to move it at this. And they would say like, no, nah, sorry, I can't do it. And they're like, well, is there anything I could do to make it work? Well, I, I thought you just said you just had a, a bunch of other phone calls coming in. Uh, give it to what give it to them you know i i don't i don't mind you know i will find something else if you need to give it to somebody else say you know go ahead i understand you know you've got plenty of other trucks that's that's good for you you know if i really need it i'd say yes right now but i i, I guess i have a little leverage i'm not desperate for it today no, I love it. Give it, yeah. Give out all the tips to dealing with the brokers. There's guy, I'm sure, you know. There's there's probably some guys listening. Like I said, I've had my fair share of conversations with certain brokers. Um, some that uh, some good, some better than others. But at the end of the day, that's what we got. I think I, uh, I think I lost your audio. You still got me here? Oh no, there you are. I thought I lost your audio. It just got quieter for a second. I was like, oh, I think you cut out. But uh, I, I I turned the I turned the truck off. I made it home. So oh, you made it home. Hey, that well, I mean, it's perfect timing, man. I was I was gonna say we're you know we've been ripping for about an hour. Um, you know, if unless there's anything else you wanted to 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 bring up, I mean, I I really think we covered a lot. I I appreciate you sharing everything about you know your experience in the industry. Like I said, everyone that's what people think that a lot of people, especially non-drivers, but even people in the industry, they still believe, they think that trucking is one size fits all. And it's just like, like what you said, your story last year, a lot of people fucking went down last year. You said it was really great. People have no idea like that where you are located is also a huge factor. What you have going is a huge factor that you have company drivers and owner ops. There's guys in Florida, they can't do what you're doing. And that, and that's the thing. Some people think that that, and been, but that's just 
that's just trucking. That's the market. But hey, man, uh, unless you, unless you got anything else, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Do you have any? Um, you know, you you have a company. You, you know, you're always saying that you're looking for owner operators. Where can anybody interested in the central United States? You know, where can they find you? I we're we're just outside of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Um, Price Farm Trucking is our company name. Um, I I guess we're kind of like the army. We're we're looking for a few good men if we can find them. Um, <laughs> I I I would say I'm I'm pretty selective about who I work with. But if you you know if you like if you think you if you work somewhere in Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, or Minnesota, you know, and you want to talk about maybe trying to make something work, I'd be willing to listen. You know. I'm always up to trying new things and I, I wouldn't promise anybody anything. I try not to promise anybody anything, but you know, I willing to give a lot of stuff a try and we'll see what it works. And, you know, and if it doesn't work, you know, I'll be the first one to tell you that, Hey, this probably isn't, you know, this yeah, isn't no. for you. you know, this isn't for us and this isn't for you. I, I think you should, you know, we, we might have to do something different. You know, we tried it. It doesn't work. Um, maybe we can try something different, but um, I, you know, I really don't have, um, we just got a Facebook page. That's about it. And um, our owner operators that we have picked up has pretty much just been word of mouth. I haven't gone looking for them. They've kind of reached out to me and, um, you know, I, I, I would, I, I always hesitate to bring people on, you know, stuff like that. Like, you know, if you're interested and we talk about it and then, well, let me make sure that I can keep you busy because I don't want you to come here and, and then somebody has to suffer because we don't have enough, freight for everybody to move you know yeah. let's make sure that you know let's make sure we we talk about it and and can make it work for everybody you know i don't want you know like, you know you don't want to go somewhere and then all of a sudden you're like well this isn't this isn't working and like, i'm not making any money and stuff like that and i don't i don't want everybody to say you know to say that about us and they said if it's not working you need to do something else and if it if we don't think we can make it work we shouldn't start so well, yeah, I think I think your integrity's uh, sh really shining here because, and that's uh, I feel like that's an Iowa trait. I feel like I've never met a dishonest person from Iowa. Yeah, it's just got to work for both parties, man. So that's good. So, so Price Farm Trucking, they can find you on Facebook. No website yet or anything, just Facebook. But I, you know, like I said, these are you, your companies like yours and what you got going on are a diamond in the rough. Um, they're those. They're they're what they're what will keep people trucking. They're what will keep people in this job. Um, you got a great thing going, and if there's anything I could do to help you out, um, you know, let me know. I'd love to support the farm. If you make T-shirts or anything, like I said, I, hauling this agriculture equipment, I feel you know, I get pumped up about doing it because I know it's going towards you know something that's you know feeding the country. But like I said, man, I want to thank you again for coming on, and uh, we'll uh, I'll see I'll see you in the Discord out there. But um, unless you got anything else, man, ready to wrap it up. No, thanks for having me. This is a this was a pleasant surprise. You asked me to be on a podcast. I never, never thought yep. I'd be on a podcast, but I I appreciate you, you having me on and 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 talking about for a little while. I I don't I don't know if it's super interesting or like that, but I guess if somebody's interested, you can let me know. I'm, I appreciate the uh, talking to you for this next hour or so. Yeah, no, I I mean it when I say there. I have some listeners who are from the New England area, and when it comes to farming or hearing from farmers or just anything that goes on between New York and California, you know, the, which is, you know, dead space to some, you know, some people I might know, um, they, they'll find it interesting. And, and as soon as you said that you're doing farming and trucking, I was like, fuck, I got I to talk to this guy. So, you know, I appreciate you taking the time, man. I know you, you got a family and everything. So, uh, but yeah, like I said, anybody listening out there, find a price farm trucking, you know where to find me at Lombard Trucking. If you ever want to talk, I'll be here.
We'll see you. Peace out. Thanks, sir.